everyone, and welcome to Tales from Stringersburg. My name is Drew Davis. And I'm Josh Blackavento. And we are two role-playing dorks that have known each other for a real long time and kind of decided to take uh, a play-by-post project that we were doing and uh, kind of on a whim decided to try it as a podcast and see if anybody was interested in it we've been playing together for so long and it's been such an exclusive uh inside sort of thing that we thought it would be interesting to share it we think we're pretty funny and interesting but we'll see what you all think yeah and while it is a uh role-playing art you know play-by-post game it's kind of evolved more into a collaborative storytelling experience. There is Mm -hmm. the occasional dice rolling and everything, and we do have live sessions that we record. Um, But all in all, it's just kind of turned into a... I don't know what's the best... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a shared narrative. We've both contributed to the world-building in this setting, and we both have sort of... um, you know, PC, you know, we have characters. I mean, player characters, not political correctness. We don't really have too much of that. Yeah. <laughs> we have some, uh, but not a lot. Yeah, and we started off the um, the first story arc, uh, uh, I storytell, and Josh plays a character, and then we've just recently switched, and he's storytelling, and I'm playing a character. And it's both set in a fictional town of Stringersburg that we made that is uh, located somewhere vaguely in southern Illinois where the Mississippi and Ohio River meet together and it's uh, was coined uh, in in our fiction in the early uh, 18 late 1800s as the Venice of America yeah part of how Stringersburg got started the idea of Stringersburg was we both sort of I forget how exactly we arrived at this character, but we were, we were one of our earliest sort of collaborative things we were talking about this character called the Hive, who's sort of a hero but not a hero. He's like he's a man. At first, he was just a dude who his only power was he could generate and fire at you bees, and he would just sting people to death and shout and it didn't matter if it was like a super villain or a purse snatcher like he handled everybody the same way (laughs) and it wasn't that he was your typical anti-hero he was just like protecting his quote-unquote hive yeah we, we we had to sort of increasingly justify this demented thing that we've come up with and so it goes from like he's just a guy who shoots bees to like why is he shooting bees and then from there we sort of broadened out to like the idea of heroes who aren't heroes and that led us to the idea of the league of dubious heroism we came up with these groups that's the hero group and then the villain group to go with them was the brotherhood of ineffectual villainy and eventually we needed a place to put them and so we came up with stringers group and um the stories behind all these that we've that we've done previously and that we're going to uh, air for everyone is like I said it's not necessarily anti-heroes it's the questions of what's the morality you know does calling yourself a hero justify any acts that you do just because you're saying that it's for the greater good um like even like these people are trying to do heroic acts they're not trying to go out and uh you know be 90s image characters from the comic books <laughs> um they're they're actually like trying to do the right thing but they just either go overboard or don't know how to control their powers or they don't have the moral center to know when to stop right i i think the whole anti-hero thing and you know 90s image character is like a great nutshell way to put that but you know even now even more recently anti-hero characters like dexter or whoever on tv it's like too often the anti-hero thing is like 
I want somebody who is sexy and broods. Mm. Who's just like so tormented. Like all they can do to ease their torment is just be gorgeous. And uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say we don't care about that. Yeah. It's more like what if somebody tries to be a hero and is just consistently bad at it? Mm. Just, just like fundamentally misunderstands certain things about it or, or just can't get their shit together. So that's how uh, that's how we've both sort of shaped our lead characters. But do we want to get into that now or should we talk a little bit more about the Berg first? Uh, yeah, let's talk about the Berg and uh, kind of where this came from. Um, right. The original game we played, what we figure, it was 2010 when we played the original one. Nine or ten, something like yeah. that, yeah. And Drew we ran second edition Mutants and Masterminds, which is a great game. For Flocky and one of our friends, Lexi. And Flocky played his character, the Puppeteer, and Lexi played Kinetica. Flocky is his nickname for me. Oh, yes, sorry. And um, you'll through all of this you'll hear him referred to uh as flocky and flockovich and flockavento and all kinds of things one one dude used to call me flock stock <laughs> well soon it'll it be was, doc flock oh god not soon enough but but anyway yeah so um uh Kinetica is a good example of the whole duke is hero thing yeah she originally wanted to be a cop or with the uh, MHTF, the Metahuman Task Force, which is um, kind of the shield of this world. And the original premise was it was kind of supposed to be goofy and over the top. So it was set in a world with um, like Venture Brothers and Dr. Horrible, um, those types of characters. And it kind of has evolved into its own uh, world, its own multiverse. Mm-hmm. But um, Kinetica, like I said, was trying to be part of this metahuman task force, and she has the powers to control kinetic energy, and was just like way over the top. But she meant well with everything that she did. Like the first adventure that they went on at the bank, if you want to. Yeah, we. Um, my character was the puppeteer, and you'll hear more about him in a moment because he has come back with a vengeance. But. Um, Puppeteer and Kinetica went to a very lovely, well-built old bank. In Chicago, in the original Chicago. story took place in Chicago. Chicago. Right. So, so we go to this old, beautiful bank in Chicago that's been robbed in a way that the people there don't understand. We pretty pretty quickly caught on to the fact that it was a a, a villain making himself invisible somehow. But in the course of trying to catch this person, you know, Kinetica is just throwing blasts of force and just, like, wrecking these elegant marble staircases and smashing the, all the glass and, and just doing, like, millions in property damage. So by the end, it's like, thanks? <laughs> Appreciate you catching that guy who was, you know, running away with, like, 300,000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, so much worse. And uh, that sort of set the pattern <laughs> for a lot of the stuff we did. Yeah. Um, uh, gratuitous would be a good word. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of the other characters that we were in, in company with had stuff like that going on, too. So the League of Heroism is what they called themselves. We we had originally thought of them as the League of Dubious Heroism, but in the setting, they just called themselves the, the League of Heroism. But they included people like... I mean, some of, the, some of the characters were not super dubious, like Reverb. Reverb mm-hmm. was a cool character, had sound-controlled powers. The most dubious thing about him, really, was he was sort of a rock star in his attitude and the way he presented himself, so he came off kind of dickish and full of himself, but ultimately wasn't that bad. And then we had other dubious heroes, like... The leader of the group, Inner Peace, who... He had the singular power of being able to possess people, but he only possessed supervillains that he would track down and then cause them to commit super crimes while being possessed and then get them arrested and then would leave. 
<laughs> so, A, that's super entrapment. And, like, that's the kind of entrapment the FBI dreams of. And, uh, B, he's basically a villain. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he's doing that stuff. Yes, but in his his brain, it's them doing it, but they're finally getting caught for what they do. Yeah. And he was the leader so, of the group, so he would leave, like, extended messages for everybody. And um, and then there was a Lustra who was a air elemental from another dimension. She just pretty much didn't understand human laws and whatnot, so she always committed crimes or felonies or you know nothing malicious but just because she didn't know any better and the Mm -hmm. the league was kind of charged with policing her and teaching her um and then we had the amazing amperage who was a dude that had electrical powers but he would like be able to boost his allies and everything but um he couldn't always control his powers and cause power outages and electrocuted people just like walking down the street and then there was One Eye and Hidden Leaves. And right, who, who were not what they seemed to be. Yeah. We, we thought that Hidden Leaves was the soul of a samurai possessing a suit of armor. and Very uh, full metal alchemist. Right. But, you know, original enough hmm. to evade copyright infringement <laughs> problems. <laughs> But I mean now I mean I, I I think the the hidden leaves thing the samurai thing that's that sort of came from both of us being on like a Hagakure samurai kick at yeah. that point and like forever but um turned out that even though that was an actual character the person that we were facing was a robot duplicate of that and one eye who we thought was like our friendly uh, crime fighting database slash AI was a rogue AI who was doing whatever it wanted to do. Yeah, it was originally created by the government under a different name, Mech, and both of these are uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anachronisms. Uh, Anagrams. No. uh, No. um, I've got it. It starts with an A. Abbreviations. Acronyms. 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 Yeah. And... uh, (laughs) We promise. (laughs) Um... But he ends up betraying the group, and pretty much what he was doing was just gathering as much information on every single metahuman he could possibly get his hands on, and was using the League as a information-gathering tool while manipulating them and um, coercing other metas to come into the city so he could gather information on them. He turned out to be, one eye turned out to be more of a villain than the Brotherhood of Villainy. Yeah, which the, the the peak of the story, I guess, the the climax was the the Brotherhood coming and attacking Chicago, and everyone having to kind of split up and go their own ways, or not oh, their own ways, but fight against all these different um, groups of villains that popped up. Um, I mean, they, they they did have some sneaky tricks early on because at one point they had infiltrated us to the point I forget if it was the tailor specifically but but they had slipped like bugs or whatever into our costume yeah it was the tailor it was the um, the guy that the uh, league used to sew their costumes they, when they came up with designs and what are you doing you're killing me smalls <laughs> uh, used it to um make their costumes and he was actually a plant a uh, very uh, spider-man chameleon-esque um and inside the uh, patches of the league were power nullifications so their powers couldn't affect any of the brotherhood oh right it was worse than a bug that's right hmm. well i mean in a way that was sort of necessary i um I made a character with very difficult powers. I'll, uh, maybe this is an okay time to transition into this. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we'll just cover whoever else is, needs to be covered later on. Right. So my character in this, the puppeteer, uh, is very physically 
weak, but had telekinesis and mind control. He was an actual puppeteer. He had grown up sort of in the theater after his parents flaked out on slash abandoned him, and uh, his latent psychic powers manifested as controlling objects and controlling people. And I always, I always tried to imagine what it was like for you as a DM having to deal with the fact that, like, if I rolled well, I stole one of your NPCs from you temporarily. But it, it I, was a good experience for me because, yeah, like, you would either just get the shit stomped out of you <laughs> or you would just handily, like, there would be no fight. Um, yeah. So I had to kind of prepare for each contingency. Very much a glass cannon. Um it, it also taught me just how wobbly the D20 is, because up to then we had been playing White Wolf games, which used D10s and all of that, and I, had, I, I did not really appreciate how wide the D20 is until my weak character in a D20 game got beat up all the time, often by just like mooks, just like you know the five guys who are there as scenery other heroic characters would just chew up and spit out. But like, yeah, which I thought you would just plow through, because like you said, they were set dressing. Right, but no, they beat the crap out of Puppeteer several times. Yeah. Or at least it felt like several times. Thus the evolution of him into this game right. with some of his equipment and whatnot. Um, yeah. But yeah, like uh, what about Puppeteer's parents? Right. So, um... When we came back to this game, I developed the backstory a little bit more. I, I seem to recall I, I had like hinted at this when we first started, but didn't get into as much detail until more recently. But um, so first of all, the puppeteer's actual name is Fergus Craigson, and you're gonna have to just forgive me for that, or not. Um, but anyway, uh, Fergus's parents were difficult people. His mom was a test subject, and his dad was an agent in a government program, which we sort of based on MK Ultra, and which you renamed... Project Spectrum. I didn't rename Project it. It was Spectrum. like an offshoot of MK Ultra. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Project Spectrum. I was about to say Spectre, but Spectrum. Right. So this is like a government psychic research type of program, and um, I imagined the two of them his parents being in sort of like a weird, codependent, unhealthy relationship. Because uh, I was reading a little bit about MKUltra, and uh, this this is like when the CIA was trying to figure out how they could use LSD as like a truth serum or as mind control or whatever. They, they thought the Soviets were doing something similar and they wanted to beat them to it. But anyway, the point is they would dose test subjects with LSD, but also... If you were working on the project and you were in the building that day, they might dose you with it too. So the idea of like the experimenter and the experimentee ending up in the same sort of place was very interesting to me. So his parents were like dysfunctional, burnout victims of this government psychops program, and Fergus was largely left to raise himself, and he ended up very awkward and uncomfortable person and didn't really know what to do with himself until he discovered the theater. And even in the theater, he wasn't the kind of guy who could get up on stage. He was the guy who could, like, build the sets and props and costumes and stuff, and uh, somewhere along the line he discovered puppets. I will admit I was on kind of a being John Malkovich kick at this time, so I was sort of thinking about Actually, that's where the name came from, because the guy in Being John Malkovich is called Craig. That's right. And when I, and when I thought of Craig, I thought of Craig Ferguson, because he was very funny. And then so I just switched Fergus Craigson. Um, so there it all is. That's how the sausage is made. But anyway, yeah, so the puppeteer is like a, a he's like the offshoot of a bad government project. He's, just, he's a very unhappy boy, and uh, he remains so... And one of the things we were trying to do, we are trying to do with this storyline, is show how a dubious hero might become a villain. And yeah, and that's kind of taken its own evolution. Like, 
that was the idea when we first started this story like mm-hmm. what is puppeteer's spiral into villainy like what finally pushes him into it and i feel like the story's taking its own turn and that's kind of not where it's heading yeah i i've wavered i'm i'm not quite i'm not quite at the place yet where fergus feels like he can do whatever he wants yeah anybody well you're holding true to the character though because he's a very reserved analytical dude yeah he 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 tries to be he's very emotional and if there's one thing he hates it's stupidity and so a lot of things you know like if if you go back to the sort of D&D uh, classification of how people act and why the, the alignment system like he's never going to be chaotic evil because that's just stupid to him but I feel like he could end up neutral evil mm-hmm. which is just like I do what I want at all times and um, you know we're going to jump around a little bit because this is the first time we've done something like this but um, you know the interesting thing to me is that in many ways Morgan is like the opposite yeah uh, the character I play Morgan Treadway uh, the Cerulean Sentinel I made him to almost be the antithesis of the puppeteer not to be contrary to you as a character and as a player but just to kind of see you know this city's throwing similar things at both of them and then like how do they handle it Mm -hmm. yeah Morgan's very genuine where Fergus like everything with Fergus is kind of a pose in a way you're cutting out again oh sorry yeah the interesting thing to me about Morgan is how genuine he is as opposed to Fergus who is very um things with him tend to be very staged at least that's how he likes them to be yeah. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. Um, some of the other key characters, like we were talking about the Society of Brotherhood. Uh, Brotherhood of Villainy. Yes, Brotherhood of Villainy. Thank you. Um, one of the key characters that we'll first run into is Blowhard, <laughs> who I think it was. <laughs> puppeteer in Connecticut's either third or fourth mission pretty early and they heard that this chemical plant on the outskirts of the city was being attacked by this villain and they come in and check and they see this dude who's kind of floating and bobbing and you know he's fairly rotund and whatnot and uh, he's he's spouting out these big gusts of wind and you know blowing out windows and all kinds of other things so puppeteer and Connecticut sneak up on this guy yeah so this is sort of the beginning of the idea that Fergus is like maybe a bad person um it was also me trying to figure out the rules because I had put a restriction on puppeteer's telekinesis power that said he could only manipulate objects so we go in there, and I'm terrified of getting my ass handed to me again. And and this guy, we haven't engaged with this guy yet. He's floating over these vats of chemicals, and I'm like, well, so that's an object, right? Just like a bunch of liquid, like that's a thing, right? And bless his heart, Drew was too horrified to say no. Well, I was horrified <laughs> and overjoyed at the same time. <laughs> So I, uh, not not I, sorry, my character, um, horribly maimed this dude by just dumping what we decided was some sort of caustic stuff on him, and uh, he was never the same again. He didn't die, but it's pretty bad. Yeah, if, if you make it past the uh, the first or into the end of the first issue, which is how we're listing this instead of. Uh, episodes is going to be like issue and each issue is going to have different parts you'll get to see what happens to blowhard or what happened I'm, to blowhard i'm i'm pretty proud of all of that i think we handled that really well 
but um, yeah, we we had a great rotating cast of villains, some of whom, like you were hinting at earlier, were sort of drawn from the Whedonverse. We had some cameos from uh, Doctor Horrible villains, fake Thomas Jefferson. That was such a good fight. They they took a, you guys took like a vacation to Boston or something like that and ran into him there as he was spouting qu- quotes from from Jefferson and grew to sixty feet tall and it was a fight you guys should have lost. I I mean there was so much to love about that. First of all, those Jeffersonian quotations that you found. You, you must have found, like, a great stable of them, because the ones you would bring out were, like, weirdly on point for whatever was happening in the fight at that time. And he was 60 feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the, uh, that's the fair use doctrine at, right. at work right there, because yeah. there's nothing in Dr. Horrible that suggests, well, anything about him except his name. But it's just like, how do I make sure I'm putting my own spin on this? He's fucking huge. He's just gigantic. <laughs> but yeah, we did. How did we beat him? He was throwing boulders at us or something. Yeah, you ended up picking... Like, you and Connecticut worked together and picked up, like, this ginormous piece of building or something and bashed him in the back of the head. And then Bad Horse mm-hmm. came and stomped you all in the face and ran off with him. Because <laughs> you survived his death when he's terrible death when he (laughs) so you can tell where some of our influences come from yeah and I mean the game keeps a a fairly serious tone but occasionally will geek out on something I I think so far the the humor has been fairly bleak Mm -hmm. it's It's very gallows humor yeah well I mean not all the time but sometimes Sometimes it's just crudely scatological, so, you know, strap in. But, um, I don't want to make any promises there. So, you know, the idea at the beginning of this part of the story is that Puppeteer has left Chicago Mm -hmm. after the the League of Heroism dissolves. Yeah, they they try to make another go at it after um, One Eye and Hidden Leaves leave. And, treachery um, after their treachery. Yes, treachery is a good word. And the group moves to Stringersburg after being invited there when the MHTF pretty much kicks them out of Chicago. And um, they try to make a go of it. They fall apart. Um, in, the, in the actual recordings, we kind of cover what happens to most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important move is Kinetica leaves and goes to this larger supergroup called the Four Corners Protectorate, who kind of covers the Midwest-ish area. Um, and she was Puppeteer's moral center in a lot of ways. Yeah, in her well-intentioned but sometimes blundering way, she was sort of like what what kept him good and uh, part of what I've the theme I've tried to keep with him as we've worked through this is that um, he's falling more and more back on the ways of thinking he fell into he developed when he was like college age so he's thinking of things more theatrically and he uh his sort of center is this idea of tragedy. Like he's he's looked out at the world now that you know you know the league was like betrayed in Chicago and then sort of fell apart from the inside. He's just more and more cynically viewing the world as this big colossal cosmic mistake. And what he really can't stand anymore is not injustice but um, inelegance, ineptitude. And, yeah, right. It's just like. You people have no idea how to write a script. I'll show you how to write a script. I'm going to yeah. script events around me. And in my little... a lot of ways, he's kind of taken the easy road with his mind control abilities. Like, if somebody's mm-hmm. giving him static, or if he's walking down the street and needs something, he's just like, I need that. 
Yeah. But he I, sees um, it as like a almost as a necessity for him to be able to f- to do what he needs to. So that's his like justification. Yeah, I mean that's part of it at times, but like you were saying first, most of the time it's just laziness. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've, we've seen the sort of arch horror that a mind control villain can be in Kilgrave, the mm-hmm. Purple Man. Um, I don't know him from the comics, but I know him from season one of Jessica Jones from the MCU, and uh, you know, Puppeteer is nowhere near that. Um, cruel or vindictive or malicious or or, or, or worldly yeah like puppeteer wouldn't use his powers for the things that Kilgrave does because he's terrified of that stuff um or just finds it distasteful so you know he's not going around like making people throw themselves in the wood chippers or making women throw themselves at him or anything like that but you know he will take your stuff if you're near him. Mm-hmm. He, he will make you give your stuff to him uh, because he wants, like, a phone right then, and then he'll just throw it away. He's just like, I don't care about this. Just give me that. And um, I guess backtracking a bit, Stringersburg, like we said, is located in this little delta, almost, of where these rivers join up. And the people who originally made it um, in the fiction that we've kind of generated is you know it was a major hub when everybody was moving west and they kind of built it out into the river and tried to make this canal system and um you know it used to be this big tourist trap but over the past century or so it's just really gone downhill especially after you know the 30s 40s and never just made a bounce back and it's like the shitty version of detroit yeah, I mean, places like Detroit and now that I live here and kind of know what it's like, Buffalo have been inspirations for Stringersburg. We've sort of imagined it as this Rust Belt place. It's probably been hugely depopulated from its original heights. It's a place where, like, there was money for infrastructure and nice architecture at one point, and that's gone now. Um, and, you know, Buffalo people out there are going to be like, yeah, but resurgence, you know, Buffalo, but hey, calm down. That's not happening here. The Berg has no resurgence yet. Um, So we just sort of wanted, part of the idea with Stringer, the Stringer part of Stringer's Berg is like second string, third string, like something sort of on the outs at the edge like not that good yeah uh, and this applies to also the hero and villainy there as well like mm-hmm. these are like c and d listers that populate the city with very few exceptions right yeah so maybe let's zoom out for a second and talk about some of the like assumptions of the powers and the power level and stuff yeah um we originally played this because as it evolved past the hive and everything, we tried doing a um, web comic with that, which Flocky was writing and I was drawing, and that the wheels kind of fell off of that because I went back to school. So unfortunately, it never actually got published yet. Yet, um, and then I did a short film of the hive uh, for one of my uh, finals as yeah. a as an independent study, which. I think what I'm going to do is make a Facebook page uh, for mm. this, and then if it gets okay. more popular, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. But we'll see how that all goes. Um, but on the Facebook page, we'll probably link uh, the short film, maybe some of the pages that have been drawn out, uh, just to kind of generate. Mm. Uh, we talked Character about you possibly doing small backstories for some of That's the characters. Um, but yeah, we'll also put like character sheets and everything on there. Um but we established a while ago like the, the I'm trying to think how I'll put it an interesting way of doing superpowers like someone may have super strength but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be super tough so yeah they could lift right. a, a you know a tanker truck over their head but a normal person comes and punches them in the face and they're going to get knocked out yeah we just wanted to have it be very limited in certain ways to me one of the things that's most irritating about superhero stories as they tend to be done 
is the degree of plot immunity mm-hmm. that people get and and just the sort of overall like low stakes um and so yeah somebody who might be super strong but that doesn't mean they can't get you know their knees broken with a tire iron or something yeah you know, it's just like people people get a little bit of power and maybe they know what to do with it and maybe they don't maybe they get like a, a whole suite of related powers and maybe they just have one weird one that doesn't really help um, as we'll see with with people like uh, the Mad Spitter. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> who was it? You know, a, a lot of these characters are collaborations between the two of us. Some of them are independent ones that we just kind of threw together yeah. and see what stuck. Um, kind of like Paku Paku was my creation, who's a weird my- sentient fish with water controlling powers. I mean. Paco Paco made me nod and, and and rub my beard and think, but some of yours have just made me crack up so bad. Like like Weed Man. Oh yeah, Weed Man. He's your he's your <laughs> local weed man, but he's got super speed. Can you help him move I, his couch? Yeah, that 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 line. Oh god. Ooh. But you know, there's there's the Avengers justice league-esque characters in the world that you know have ridiculous powers of you know anything can push the world out of orbit um who i guess the main the main guy is star shatterer um you know we just tried to come up with ridiculous names for these people who only are referenced in vagary because they're so far outside of anything right. that these people deal with yeah so it's not just that the characters that we're concerned with are more street level characters although that is very true the all the other part of that idea is that like in this world somebody like star shatter or the silver streak mm-hmm. sort of Sa- sable type. streak sable streak i knew it was better than silver i, I knew you well enough to know you had a better one but anyway the idea is that characters like that are really the exception, and mostly across this whole world, there are a bunch of metahumans, and most of them suck. Yeah, like I think we established like something around like seven percent of the population is around the world, or ten percent of the population is metahumans. But yeah, most people have like minor weird powers that don't really do anything. Most of them have zero interest in being heroes or villains because they're just normal people. Right. And I I feel like on my end, the Mutants and Masterminds rulebook kind of helped me get there because the setting is very agnostic in terms of like what kinds of powers are there. They're like, do you want cosmic stuff? Do you want to be a mutant? Do you want to be an alien? Do you want to be a psychic? Sure. You want to be a demon? Yeah, okay. They just sort of open the floodgates. And, yeah. Um, also, their their concept of power level kind of ties in with this. Like, the, the standard game in second edition is for your characters to be power level 10. And mm-hmm. that's like a, a Batman, like an Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Which both of our characters are... The original game started off, you guys, at like level 6 or 7, I think. And you kind of climbed up it. Um, Yeah, and they they describe 6 or 7 in the book as street level or mm -hmm. city level. Something like that. And even though our characters level 10, they are still quote-unquote street level characters because it's not only like what your powers can do it's i feel like it's also your mindset like what you're Mm. capable of Mm -hmm. as a person your psyche and everything like are you geared towards this yeah i mean whether or not he could pull it off puppeteer isn't gonna leave stringersburg and go gallivanting around the world chasing some cult or some killer robot or something. Well, not typically anyway. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, he's not gonna go on an Avengers style, you know, 
multiple location shoot kind of thing. Like he's 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 in town. He's trying to stay there. He likes it there because people generally don't know who he is. You know, like it's not a flashy thing. It's not about visibility. And and Morgan is even more focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas puppeteer i guess this is a good segue for me to talk about my character whereas puppeteer is kind of concerned with the city as a whole morgan is concerned with um this area in stringersburg called the sink which is towards the riverside and it's actually sinking into the river um the city doesn't have the resources or anything to actually raise it up they've tried a couple of um, half-hearted attempts but you know the first level of this district is actually sinking into the water so everyone's kind of adjusted life to the the second stories they've been building handmade bridges and causeways and walkways uh, to get around and um, and and we haven't really given Morgan much of an opportunity to get outside of his neighborhood yet because stuff is already happening right there in the sink. Oh yeah. Which is it's is fine by him. He actually grew up in Stringersburg, specifically in the sink. And um his backstory, his mom left when he was a baby, his dad raised him, um, you know, while working in factories and odd jobs and uh whatnot. And uh, his dad died right as Morgan was getting out of high school. And Morgan wasn't a very popular kid. He got in a lot of fights, um, didn't have a whole lot of friends. And it wasn't because he was an asshole or anything. It was because he had this moral code that didn't quite sit well with a lot of the other people that he grew up with. And that's not to say he was a goody two-shoes or anything. Like, he still drank and did drugs and um, partied and everything. But he wouldn't steal, you know, if they were like, oh, you know, go to the local grocery store, corner store or whatever, and, and grab some stuff and hook us all up. He wouldn't do it, you know, and he would stick up for the people getting picked on. Um, you know, just had a strong kind of moral center um, which which I think the, the the way we were sort of conceiving of Stringersburg generally and the sink specifically is like most people who grew up there couldn't afford that kind of moral rectitude yeah like Morgan Morgan took the hit he's always been poor mm-hmm he's always been poor you know he there was more than once him and his dad got kicked out of their apartment and they had to live in a homeless shelter or, you know, he wouldn't um, have a meal, you know, specifically because he wouldn't go steal anything. Um, but, you know, he, he saw it more so as if he did that, then somebody else was going to be in a worse situation than he was, and that's the reason why he wouldn't do it. So he's got this own code of ethics that he follows um but since he got in so many fights he his dad encouraged him to go to a local gym and he started learning boxing and that kind of sparked this passion in him for um different forms of martial combat um so he would work odd jobs save up money and start enrolling in different forms of martial arts around the city but inevitably he would have to take that money that he'd saved up and give it to his dad for rent or for groceries or something. So he never got a complete education, but he kind of filled in the gaps with uh, going to the library and uh, watching, uh, you know, kata, you know, uh, martial art katas and uh, fight videos and you know MMA matches and everything. And he would go and practice just religiously which, which I, I I really um, appreciate I, I feel like to the extent that you and I understand martial arts is very much the way Morgan does like I get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and 
Huh? Yeah. And, you know, uh, he, you know, he can handle himself well enough, but if he actually went up against somebody outside of a street thug who was just trying to throw haymakers at him, he'd probably be in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, the... I was thinking about this re-watching Defenders recently. It's very strange because it's like, it's all over the place in that, you know? Which I guess is, is more realistic, but you take somebody like Iron Fist who's supposed to be a living weapon a, right and he's been training in the martial arts like his whole life right mm-hmm. and then you know daredevil is like he's trained but he's kind of just like a feisty irishman mm-hmm. you know in a way. and yet the two of them are either pretty evenly matched or daredevil is better than him well daredevil also has superpowers right 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 he's got the he's got the senses mm-hmm. or, or whatever but all of which is to say, um, I think the really interesting thing about Morgan is like the way that through him we're kind of acknowledging, you know, fighting is actual combat must be this messy, unpredictable thing. Mm-hmm. And like Morgan is sort of a, you know, do what you can with what you've got kind of guy. And, and that's, that must be really what most people actually do. Yeah. So there's some, some, some verisimilitude there, even though the rest of his story gets into more mystical territory. Yeah. Um, he was out practicing in a, an abandoned building one day and um, was, you know, trying some... Because he's more fight-oriented than acrobatics, although he has learned, you know, some tumbling and uh, some basic stuff and uh, I guess you just say parkour and he was out practicing and um, ends up falling through this floor of this abandoned building and finds this old leather chest and opens it up and there's this um, like bodysuit almost that's when he holds it up to the light kind of reflects really weirdly and goes outside and takes a better look at it and before he can think he's got it on and it kind of adapts itself to this idea that he's always had of this super suit which is very Power Rangers, Cayman Rider uh, you know it's got this big flowing scarf and helmet with wings on it and um, mechanically what it does is it you know boosts him very slightly physically but it's got the ability to remove him from fate and bless him with probability control. Like, he can't mechanically roll under a 10. Which I think is, is such a great choice because it, it gives you incredible versatility, but it also takes a lot of your points. It's, it's like a, it's a costly power. Oh yeah, it's a huge chunk of his points. But it, it, so like the interesting thing about that is that it prevents you from specializing. Whereas Fergus is like, I got this power and I got this power, and other than that, you're going to kick the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Morgan can do like, he can do anything pretty good. Yeah. And he has no ideas as to what this suit actually does. Like, it think, he thinks, you know, it, it boosts him physically and, um, since he's put it on like things seem to be kind of going his way but he also has this idea that there's this villain that's been tracking him or the suit or something because everybody he saves or touches um has this real has like bad things happen to them pretty much immediately right after like he'll save someone and put them on a building and like go beat up whoever was uh, attacking them, but they'll like fall and break a leg or twist their ankle or something. Um, so he it's has like a cost. Yeah. Like things balance out. Yeah. So mechanically, it has the jinx property. So yeah, anybody he touches like botches their next roll. Um, but he has no idea about any of the mechanical powers of how this suit works. It's just kind of, he, once his dad died, 
and everything, he was kind of banking on becoming a meta to try to save the sink. Like, that that's his whole motivation. He doesn't want to save the world. He doesn't want to even save the city. He just wants to make his neighborhood not the shittiest place in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the sort of doomed futility of him assuming or, or, or banking on, like, I'm going to be one of the ones. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen for me. And it doesn't. But something else. Yeah. So, we've sort of established who the main characters are. We've talked a little bit about the setting. We've talked a lot about the setting. Um, what else are we talking about? Um, so, a couple things specifically about the podcast. We're, I'm going to try to release uh, once a week. Um, what we're going to do is do the this you know the the intro that we're doing right now, and then um, each issue is going to be released in parts. It's going to be somewhere between a 20 to 40 minute uh, blurb, which figured would be a, a lot more digestible uh, since it's just exposition back and forth uh, for people to take in. And um, and every now and then we'll have recordings of live sessions that we do? Yeah, about once a month we're going to try to do uh, live sessions um, which ebb and flow. And the reason why we kind of have done this format is because we both have busy lives. I have a uh, one-and-a-half-year-old. Flocky's working on his dissertation um, so, yeah, um, but it's also sort of a novel format, like we've heard other gaming podcasts, mm -hmm. and this one, I think, is unique? Yeah, after some, uh, some Google Foo, kind of, uh, best I can tell, this is the first and only play-by-post podcast which there may be a reason for that, or this may be <laughs> a new thing that takes off. Uh, we'll see. And, and we are going to ride that niche right to the bank, brother man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, we're, we're pretty much just trying to have fun with it, and kind of covered this before, but if you're you know looking for a bunch of dice rolling and whatnot, that's not what this is going to be about. It's more collaborative storytelling where we use the mutants and mastermind game system as a as a framework for making characters mechanically for when it's necessary yeah i mean to me that's like that's absolutely what rpgs are about because like how do i use a little bit of this sort of arbitrary set of mechanics this, this set of rules how do i allow that to inspire me as opposed to like how do i follow that to the letter every time, and when my DM deviates from it even a little bit, call him out like we're in a court ball. Yeah, and we've kind of discussed this out outside of this, but for us, it's not about how hard you can swing or what you can kill or what you can take out. It's more interesting should I swing my sword or if I do, if I do kill this thing or take it out, what are the repercussions of me doing this? Yeah, I mean, our games have always had an, an element of that, and it, it really came to the fore when we were playing Exalted, because the player characters in that system can so easily be so powerful that... That really came to the fore when we were playing Exalted, because the player characters can so easily become so powerful that um, it's kind of hard to not overcorrect, and so it's more interesting to make it about moral ambiguity, like, why did I get into this fight in the first place? Or like, now that I've won this fight, is that okay? Rather than just like, can I win this fight? Mm -hmm. And, you know, specifically in this world, like, why is this person a villain or why are they considered a villain? Mm -hmm. 
Right. Are they are they really any worse from the people that are called heroes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of this, um, kind of like I said before, a lot of this stuff in in this world, at least when I'm storytelling, because me and Flocky both have different avenues that we're taking, which I think are both incredibly interesting in their own ways, but it's the question of not only is this person a villain or what makes them a villain, why is this person a hero? All because they come out and announce it. Like, what gives them the justification you know, uh, of of saying this? What gives them the right? Yeah, I... It's especially interesting to me right now because I feel like we have this idea of, of hero and villain so firmly embedded in our collective consciousness, if you will, by like movies, not just the Marvel stuff, but all all the movies, uh, a lot of the other entertainment, you know, video game characters, comics characters, it's just like we have this idea that no matter what the problem is, no matter how big and seemingly impossible it is, there's going to be some like lone individual it's like you know like the the sort of cliche trailer one man mm. you know like that's just so embedded in our cultural dna and like is that how it should be should it just be like things get really bad and then like one dude makes a decision and and that's that's the solution to these things right and anytime i'm kind of losing focus like one of my main inspirations for the ideas with all this is all the way back to Gilgamesh like mm. his storyline especially when he is hunting down the wild man um Eknu Enki Enki yeah and like they have their cliche superhero fight and become best friends afterwards but and then they go to the cedar forest but the repercussions of like them destroying that place and what happens like cuz they don't think as to why they do it they just know that there's quote-unquote monsters there and they have to destroy it but like a majority of the repercussions that come out of that story are them doing that Mm. yeah you know that (laughs) reminds me a little bit i haven't read that all the way through um but it it's it's reminding me um in Darkest Dungeon, which is a great game, you should play it. Um, there's so it's like there's this town, and there are these heirs to this old family estate, and they're hiring all these mercenaries to sort of to take the estate back. But there's also this Lovecraftian evil below the estate, and blah blah blah. So the point being, you know, you you venture into the estate and you fight all these monsters. But at some point in the game's development, they introduced this new monster you can fight. And I forget what he's called, but he's this dude in a straitjacket. And he he doesn't hit you for physical damage. His attacks are things like accusation. And um, at first I was just like, you know, when I first started encountering this, this, uh, this monster, I was like, ah, I hate this guy. He causes stress damage. He makes my heroes go crazy. That's really annoying. And then I was like, imagine this game world from this guy's point of view. He's gotten out of some, like, terrible Bedlam-style mental institution. He's still in the jacket. He's hanging out with, like, mutated swine people and the undead and these cultists. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, these heroes come stomping in and try to put a broadsword in his face. Like, everything is horrible for that (laughs) dude. It's like the worst dude to be, and me, I'm the asshole being like, stop stressing out my heroes. Yeah. You know? That word is just so loaded, and it's great to, to manipulate and, and look at from all different angles. Yeah, um, so I think we've covered pretty much anything, and, um, you know, if you guys have listened to us ramble on for the good part of an hour, then, um... I hope you and you're still here yeah i hope that you guys you know dig the the story that we're going to tell and uh, a little more about that once an entire issue has been re- 
released um, will release it all in one chunk too so if you know depending on how long this goes if people are trying to re-listen or if they would if you prefer to listen to it in longer chunks you can listen to it in its entirety or in more digestible bits and pieces however you listen to it though we welcome your thoughts you know we're not gonna like snakes on a plane this you know where you just write in what we what you want us to do and we do it you know it's, it's not like juggernaut getting written into that movie or anything but i'm saying you know let us know let us know what we're doing well what you think we're keen we're very keen yeah because i mean like i said we're just this was not originally meant to be a podcast it's just two dudes having fun that don't get to role play enough right if we if we lived in this in the same town drew do you think this would even be happening i don't know we always did when you lived an hour away and <laughs> no, one of no, us no i mean i mean this in this format so oh would we just be playing tabletop like we always do ah, we'd probably just be playing tabletop so <laughs> i think that's kind of kind of neat that we're heading in this way yeah so hopefully you will all benefit from the pain of our separation <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so enjoy and thanks a lot welcome to stringersburg bum 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 cool let me stop the re-